0: Past Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPLE.com.
1: What the f do you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- Put that in. I don't f- So the tribe drops its third this district, six to one to
2: the Rangers, For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we've
0: got, one goddamn hit. ever put out in the 100 years of the time. Sell the team. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. John P. L. A. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Like I said, on the other side of the hour, we're going to finish up our interview with Wes Chamberlain, plus get into plenty more things, including Dick Drago and John Nunnally. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Well,
1: let's get John P. L. A. Here with Wes Chamberlain. Uh, you know, you end up you know, making your debut with the Phillies that year. You come back. You know, in the next year, you have a pretty good year. You finish fifth in the National League in regards to Rookie of the Year voting. And then a couple of years later, you get a chance to play in the postseason. Tell us a little bit about those next couple of years coming up, you know, establishing yourself a little bit and then getting a chance to play in the NLCS or World Series in 1993. Well, that was awesome, too. Uh, that was the first time
2: I've been getting a big league and uh, uh, not making it up there and, and what you start to realize, they don't even have that system anymore today. That was the last time that uh, – that formality was a uh, play. Now there's a new formality. You have a wild card and everything. So, uh, you know, I'm just grateful for all of that because then in the last, coming in first and then finishing last and then being uh, uh, in that system, uh, you know, everything kind of just comes back like it was yesterday. So, being in that, winning uh, that tenant and, and, you know, overcoming because then we went from last to first, you know, nobody picked us. So, that was really, really uh, a great group of guys, and I mean, you know, we just had a 20th uh, anniversary uh, uh, last month, so all that seeing those guys and talking with them, and letting like them know that my book was uh, getting ready to be published, it just brought back all memories, man. And and I mean, you know, it's just it's, it's, it's what the the game is about, you know. Uh, you want to win, and then in order to win, you have to go out there and you have to do it. And it was tough to win a uh, that would never play unless uh, they were uh, face each other in the World Series. But today, I mean, it's, uh, it's awesome. I mean, I wish that I had the opportunity to play uh, <laughs> in the these games, But, you know, uh, it is what it is. When Colin comes in, uh, you know, you have to retire. But, I mean, I'm not jealous of or anything. I'm just uh,
1: content. But, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just awesome, John. <laughs> no, no, it definitely is fun. I mean, the way it's changed, and obviously you had a chance to play in a different type of playoff format. I'm going to get into one thing, you know. You get into 1994, you know, the baseball players' strike, of course, shortens that season. You have a delayed start a shortened season in 1995. Um, I've heard a lot of different stories how it affected different players in different ways. Was there any serious impact of the baseball strike to you? Did that affect your standing um, in your career? I did. I was one of the players. Yes,
2: yes. I'm sorry, guys. Yes, I was. I was one of the players that was impacted. But it was a decision because a lot was going on, and as you know, as of today, that was the last baseball strike, and it's like 20, 25 years ago. So with that being said, that's 20 years ago. I'm saying 19 to be exact. With that being said, that's why baseball has uh, the most uh, strongest union in uh, pro sports today
1: absolutely, and you know they did everything they could to protect you, and you know I'm sure you know you still have you know the benefits of having such a good such a good union. You know, as you as you end up you know moving forward, you end up with the Red Sox, you end up spending some time, um, you know, in you know in Triple for a couple of years, you go to Japan, you end up playing independent ball. Tell us a little bit about you know the I guess the migration of West Chamberlain, the different you know different types of baseball. You know, really, throughout after your major league career, and a little follow-up question. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, you went through all this probably with the hopes of getting another chance to play in the major leagues. How disappointing was that that you didn't get another chance after after the '95 season?
2: No, that wasn't disappointing at all, John. Okay. That that was strictly a business decision because of uh, the game. It was something that I've done. It was something that provided a uh, financial uh, need. Uh, I've done it, and then all it did was just really transition me into the man of God that I am today because going back down there and being able to work and do diligence uh, on a daily basis during the season, uh, it, really, uh, it really showed people uh, uh, how this game can keep you humble. And you know, people, you know, being seeing people released, uh, and seeing myself with the contract, with the wife and kids, and and guys just coming in thinking that they're gonna fly right on up, you know, it, uh, you know, and I, I really had a chance to really, uh, uh really express wisdom into how uh, the young man's life. So it was more of a blessing. That's why I wasn't really disappointed. I mean, sure, I, I wish I'd had a. Uh, major league career and had opportunity to play in another world series and sign a big contract, you know, uh, but your first goal is to uh, make it there and, you know, in order to do that.
1: I think it's great that you know you got into writing this book and this series of books with, you know, the hopes that you could share your story and help obviously a lot of a lot of younger people as well as you know, uh, you know, uh, let let older people know about about your journey and everything that you went through. So Wes, I want to thank you for having some time. Appreciate you uh, being part of the program and let's stay in touch, man. Hopefully, I can get you on the show sometime in the near future. Sure, sure, Yeah, Thank you for
0: having me, man. I really appreciate. It. So definitely check out that spot with Wes Chamberlain in the game. is going to be a series, a first of a series of books that he's going to send out about his playing career and certainly a lot of great stuff to get into. But we're going to jump right into the next interview I recorded with former Major League pitcher Dick Drago. And he would get into some interesting things in regards to pitching. Obviously, of the 60s and the 70s, as opposed to the way it is now, we've touched on it a million times in regards to uh, pitchers being on innings limits, pitch counts, the whole thing. And Dick Drago definitely has some uh, very interesting things to talk about in regards to it. Here's a guy who was a very good starting pitcher, first part of his career with the Kansas City Royals, uh, was fifth in the 1971 Cy Young Award race, which ended up going to Vida Blue. And ends up being part of the nineteen seventy five Boston Red Sox team that made it to the World Series before losing to the big red machine in Cincinnati. So lots of stuff to get into. Hopefully you guys enjoy this spot with former Royals and Red Sox pitcher Dick Drago.
1: Afternoon. Hey, this is John Pielly. I'm here with former major league pitcher Dick Drago. Dick, what's going on, man? Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Um, <laughs> yeah, hey, it must be pretty good now with the Red Sox doing as well as they're doing. I'm sure people got to be happy up there, huh? Yeah, um, after the last couple of
2: years, uh, you know, they, this place is kind of a crazy place to play sports. It's one of the best places to play, but it's uh, very, you know, with the radio shows and talk shows and the people are fanatics, they're they down real quick until,
1: Well, you know, they they almost did, man. With the you know the general, you know the uh, you know running out the manager and before that the manager and general manager. So, you know, they they were pretty good at having that happen. But it's obviously worked out for the best this year. The Red Sox in first place looks like they're going to win the division this year and are looking pretty good. But Dick, of course, you had a chance to pitch for you know for many years in the major leagues. Started out with the Kansas City Royals. You know, you you signed with the Tigers, and then you were taken in the expansion draft by the Royals. You know, 1968 getting a chance to be a part of the inaugural Kansas City Royals team. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about what, you know, what, what that felt like and, you know, getting having a chance to be part of a new baseball team.
2: Well, at the, the time it happened, it was kind of disappointing to me. I grew up 50 miles from Detroit in Toledo and, and was, grew up as a Tiger fan. My entire little you know, childhood, I was a Tiger fan and my father was a Tiger fan and, Um, I signed specifically with the Tigers because it was before the draft, before they had a draft, so I could choose the team that I wanted to sign with, and I was a diehard Tiger fan, so that's all I wanted to do is ever play for the Tigers, so having spent four years under my own system, progressing up to AAA, and then back in 1968, I was the last player cut in spring training. Um, and he we went on uh, to win the World Series, and the Triple A team we won the World the Championship also with a lot of good work.
1: have been, man. And I tell you, being, you know, obviously, you know, uh, a Tigers fan growing up and, you know, the disappointment of ended up going to a new expansion team, you ended up getting a chance to be, you know, be a part of that team. And, you obviously you made the team out of spring training in 69 and, you know, you were an integral part of that. You established yourself pretty well as a starting pitcher, you know, for, for this new team. in. Once again, this is John Pialy. I'm here with former major league pitcher Dick Drago. Now, you know, 71 comes, and you obviously, you know, you had a couple good seasons before that, but you kind of take it to another level there. 17 and 11, sub three, all right. You finished fifth in the American League at, you know, the Cy Young race. Tell us a little bit about that season and what went right for you. Again, it's John Pielli, i here with former major league pitcher Dick Drago. Now, you know, you, know, we, we talk, we, you talked about it a little bit before about, you know, the way, the way things have changed with innings limits and stuff like that and pitch counts, and obviously you took pride, particularly when you're pitching as a starter and completing the games that you started. Tell us a little bit about what that meant to you and, you know, throwing a complete game and going deep into a baseball game as a starting pitcher.
2: Oh, you yeah, I yeah, yeah.
1: crazy and you know the, the whole thought behind it and you know agree or disagree I mean I'm not a real big fan of it but you know they say that they're preserving these pitchers arms particularly the younger pitchers the ones that are signing for these max bonuses and stuff like that and that organizations are feel like they're preserving them longer do you, do you think this is even true do you think that this is working out the way that they did they're telling you it is
2: Twins. <laughs>
1: it does either i'm going to throw one more little dimension into this thing you know you talk about they talk about um you know the just the advance in, in uh medication the doctors and you know the the be, the willingness and ableness to examine these pitchers' arms you know now i mean i'm sure you or and probably a lot of other pitchers, if not you Probably pitched with some, you know, inflammation or some partial tears to elbows and shoulders and stuff like that. Do you think the fact that nowadays with the doctors everything is diagnosed so quickly that has a lot to do with these pitchers being shut down and end up, you know, ultimately having these operations? It
2: possibly, can. I'm sure that medically, I mean, even though somebody had the rotator cuff problem, they were done back then. I mean, there was no such thing as rotator cuff surgery guys coming back. I mean, it didn't happen very often, but it happened. And the Thomas John surgery, of course, wasn't until Tommy Tommy John had it in the 70s. So um, that was kind of a new thing, and it was experimental, and it just worked out well. So, um, you know, it's just crazy. I I think the guys are leaner now. I think they work out a lot more. I mean, we – we worked out, but over the winter. A lot of guys had jobs back then. Okay. We had to work. So you know, I, I was talking to a couple of guys, and they were in the room with the Red Sox, the young guy that came Bailey. He says, well, you know, we work out for months a year now. You know, I'm going myself. He's been hurt twice. I said, well, how's that working for you? And, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know it's, it's, I think they're leaner, and they're doing these exercises. You know, I do the Red Sox fantasy camp. We do down there in the training facility, and their training facility has got equipment that I've never seen in my life. And I think sometimes guys get so lean that they don't have any body fat that all it is is muscle. And you see these oblique strains and hip problems, and it might be of the cause that they don't have any fat on their body. <laughs>
1: I uh, like you, you talk about weight training and stuff too I mean that wasn't as prevalent probably in the time that you pitched and you know you see all the all these players they spend you know 12 months a year in a weight room and you know like you said I mean that could have a lot to do with it also I mean these these you know these these bones these muscles the tendons and stuff become so fragile that it doesn't take much for there to be a major injury now <laughs> This is John Pialli here with former major league pitcher Dick Drago. Now, you know, of course after the time with the Royals you end up with the Red Sox. You get a chance to be part of the nineteen seventy five team that wins the AL Pennant. Uh tell us a little bit about that season and you know what it meant to have a chance to pitch in the World Series that year. Yeah. No, it probably did, man. And you guys were right up there with the Reds that year. That's a, that's a World Series, a, one of the better-played World Series, really, in the history of baseball, and clearly could have gone either way. Now, now Dick, as a, as a pitcher, you obviously had a chance to start, you know, with your time with the Royals, and then you had a chance to work as a late-inning reliever. Did, did you have a preference? Did you enjoy doing one of them better than the other?
2: come to the ballpark prepared every day, which, I mean, you kind of going to get there to adrenaline and and then you start to think about that and it's kind of a satisfying thing to come in and say that for someone else, you know, because I appreciate that when I was a starter,
1: And Dick, I want to thank you for having some time. I appreciate you giving me a couple minutes, and uh, best of luck to you. And stay in touch, man.
2: Thanks.
0: Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that spot there with Dick Drago. And one thing I find interesting about it is, anytime we have a, these old-time pitchers, the guys that pitched in the '60s and '70s, you look at you just sense it in their voice of how uh, appalled and disgusted they are with the way things have changed. And we talked about so many different things from the the doctors being able to diagnose injury problems so easily and all the stuff that's put into there and the money that these pitchers make, particularly the big star pitchers to be, the amount of bonuses they get out of college and stuff like that. And it's all things that have changed and unfortunately led into the situation where things are right now. But hopefully you guys enjoyed that spot. We're going to take our first break of this hour, be back with a lot more stuff going on. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Back after
1: this. Are you searching for something different for your child's education? Consider Atlantic Christian School, where faith and quality education meet. Listen to what one of our students has to say about their experience at ACS. Atlantic Christian School is an amazing school. It has many different qualities that set it apart from public schools. It is an extremely safe environment where students care and look after each other. There is a Bible class where students learn about God and grow closer to Him. In Bible class, we do chop shop. It is where we learn to dissect God's words so we can hear. His direction for our lives. They have service projects where we learn to serve our Lord and community. Atlanta Christian School is a wonderful place that changes the lives of the students that go there. Come learn about our new lower tuition rates at our open house every Wednesday from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. at 391 Zion Road in Egg Harbor Township or enroll today. Visit us on the web at acseht.org or call 653-1199. Atlanta Christian School where character, Christ, and community count.
0: What's up everybody? This is James Flippin. And
1: Joey Baboots. We host the morning show together and every morning we start up our cars and make the drive up to
0: the studio. And you know we always see one or two accidents along the way. We wanted to make sure our listeners know where to go for the best in car care in South Jersey.
1: That's right, James. Red Rose Body Shop. That's Red Rose Body Shop. Specializes in collision and framework.
0: They're the best in South Jersey for paint and body work, unibody framework, free towing, and free estimates. So call today. 609-927-9454 and check out their website. www.redroseautobody.com Follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Red
1: Rose Red Rose Body Shop, 2033 Ocean Heights Avenue, Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey, 609-927-9454.
0: Red Rose Body Shop is South Jersey's collision specialist. 609-927-9454 or redrosebodyshop.com. Been in an accident? Take your car to the professionals
2: at Red Rose Body Shop.
0: John P.L.A.'s Passball Show. Booked by a guy called John P.L.A. Tune in to John P.L.A.'s Passball Show at JohnPL.A.D.com. Welcome back, John P.L.A.'s Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. appreciate you guys being part of the program. Of course, anything you hear, you want to share with me, discuss, Tweet at me at John underscore P.L.E. Keep this program interactive. We're going to keep things going with an interview I recorded this past week with former Major League outfielder John Nunnally. And John, of course, had a chance – He came up in a Cleveland Indians system, was taken in a Rule 5 draft by the Kansas City Royals before the 1995 season, had a very good rookie season, put up some good numbers over the course of his career with Kansas City and Cincinnati, a little bit with the Red Sox and Mets, ended up going to Japan as a coach with the Toronto Blue Jays organization right now, was a major league coach with the Cleveland Indians from 2010 to 2011. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this spot with former major league outfielder John Nunnally. Good afternoon, this is John Pielli, I'm here
1: with former Major League outfielder John Nunnally. John, what's going on, man? Much,
0: how are
2: you
1: doing? I'm oh, doing pretty good, man, doing pretty good. Huh? Yeah, of course, of course, John, you know, you got a, a nice career in the Major Leagues. You started out, uh, you know, uh, with the Royals in 1995. You were taking in the Rule 5 draft. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got started and how you ended up, you know, making your debut in 95.
2: Well, in 95, I was with the Indians before. In 1994, I got a little father over by the Kansas City Royals, and um, I did not really make the team until after we broke camp and actually landed in Kansas City, leaving the airport, and then the final day we had practice, and that's when they told me um, that I actually uh, made the team because it still wasn't, you know, set in stone that I was on the team yet.
1: Yeah, and no, of course, in your your first major league at bat, you end up hitting a home run against Molina Perez at the Yankees. That must have been pretty exciting, huh? Yeah,
2: it was very exciting. Um, I hit the homer, and uh, I was nervous. I was nervous before going up there. You know, I didn't I didn't really know what to And then I had uh, a couple guys like I asked Mark Rubles, you know, hey, can you tell me anything about this bitch? Because I didn't know anything about the guy. And um, he would, you know, just let me know what the pitchers had and what they were trying to do, and I uh, just took over from there. And he was like, "Hey, John, he's not going to come in, come in on you at all. First of all, he's just going to try to stay away from you, see what you're going to do, and then that that little bit of information that helps out a lot. Yeah,
1: All you got to
2: do is call the one hour
1: to play. You're there. Yeah, absolutely, man. I tell you, you know, you're going up there, you're probably nervous. You know, it's your first game. You know. You know, you're wondering, you know, wondering what's going to happen day to day, and you know, you get a you get a nice hit, pitch to hit. You know, you hit a home run, and I'm sure, you know, from that point forward, kind of gave you some momentum throughout the rest of the season, huh? Yeah, it helps out a lot. I mean,
2: you know, you, you, the whole kid getting confident, and you know, she gets confidence to do the things that she you knows that she can do, it helps out a lot. That's what carries her in the beginning, and then after uh, that, you know, you you got your ability and talent, but
1: so also. No, very true, man. Once again, this is John Piel. I'm here with former major league outfielder John Nunnally. Now, you know, you end up, you know, having a pretty good season in ninety five, you know, you uh kind of establish yourself as an everyday player. Um, did did it at that point kind of stick that you felt like you you know you were gonna be be in the major leagues for a while? Well, I mean I, I felt I
2: felt so and I wanted to and even though I was still you know still young so i bounced up and down for a lot of years, but um, uh, I was hoping that I would stick there. And, and, you know, it just so happened, didn't happen. I went, to, went back to AAA in the following year um, after about a couple games. I had, like, three attacks on the as well. one for three, with a couple of yards. And uh, and, um, and after I got my got the one hit, because I was just pinch-hitting when those games started, and then next thing you know, they sent me down to AAA. And I went down to AAA and I stayed down there for bit, two months, and I put up some pretty good numbers. And then they called me back up for about ten days, and I played and uh, did well. And then they took me back down for another, you know, month or two, and I ended up really putting up some big numbers there in Triple A. Like a little over three months, a little over three months, and had like twenty-five homers, and you know, did okay for average. And they called me back up, and I finished the season in the big leagues that year. And then um, after that, the next year um, I uh, start the season off in Triple A So um, I just kept on staying, you know, staying lifted and
1: working hard every single day. That was about it, man. Now, I tell you one thing. One thing that you hit on is pretty interesting. Is you know when you when you get up and you get a full taste of the major leagues and then you get sent down and then you get brought back up and then you get sent down, how how are you able to keep a balance? of uh, just, you know, focusing on the task at hand as opposed to just worrying like where you're gonna be from week to week.
2: Just, you really never know where you're gonna be week to week and also you gotta worry about family, you got wife, you got kids. Um, they're with you, you gotta make sure their safety is good and you know, you have you worry about a lot of different things that that comes along with the big leagues, and, and, and you don't know where you're gonna be from day to day. So, I mean, one day you could be sitting in clubhouse with everybody next to you could be trading, and you got the panda with you, so you got to go, hey, i got to go, well, i got to make sure you get here, you know, so you have a lot of things that can distract you, but you have to, you know, keep your focus on what you're, you know, your task at hand, so if you can take care of your family. Um, but, uh, you know, I've is man, and it's just a lot of battling, and just trying to get through to try to make, you know, things better for, for you and your family, and when you go from there. But, is to just have a straight focus on what you need to do.
1: Yeah, very true, man. Now, you end up getting traded to the Reds in the 97 season. Uh, tell us a little bit about that experience and, and how, you know, you, you felt things were going with the Reds.
2: Um, that was awesome, man. I, I went over with the Reds, and um, I, got trade before, I got traded over to the Reds. And um, um, Bob Brune had gotten fired probably about a week or so before that. And then I got over to the Reds, and I had Ray Knight. And uh, Ray Knight immediately stuck me, you know, played me right into the three-hole and I was hitting third in the big leagues for the Reds for for a couple weeks, and then all of a sudden Ray Knight gets fired, right when Ray Knight got fired, you know, I was swinging at that pretty decent, and then um, ended up, um, once Ray Knight got fired, Jack McKenzie took over in,
1: As champion here at John Nunnally, and you know you end up you know playing with the Reds for a couple of years. You go to the Red Sox. You go to the Mets. In 2000, you end up uh, you having your your uh, contract purchased by uh, by the Oryx Blue Wave of uh, the Japanese uh, Central League. Uh, tell us a little bit about what what you felt when that happened. Was that a surprise to you? And how are you able to make a transition over to play in the Japanese league?
2: Yeah, it was a surprise to me, but um, it was one of those things I welcomed. I was kind of like, hey, I'll I'll do it, you know. One problem. I could was turn it down. And also went to Triple I, I ended up getting over there, going over there. I enjoyed it. I mean, the nuts was a good organization to play for at that time. And when I was playing every day, I was putting up pretty good numbers. And then all of a sudden, I started to sit and sitting and sitting and sitting and sitting. And sitting. You know, kids, is the toughest thing you're doing in the game. It's like having one bullet in your gun and you got one bullet, and if you miss, that's it, you know? And, um, um, I ended up, uh, and sold to Japan, got over there and started playing, and all of a sudden, the first game I um, played, it was, I was in that field, and I was back in the bedroom, and I was in the ground ball. that was hit over hand and um, left up my knee, and right away, you know, they don't, they don't like that I hurt my knee, and um, I, I struggled after that because I just couldn't really put any pressure on it, and then I kept playing, I kept trying to play, and then I was a sudden I had to come home and do different things to try to help myself. I came back home and was and starting back with uh, Kansas City again. And I uh, went to A and I, and I sat my horn and um, I just kept out from that from that point forward, man, just trying to get another shot and uh, getting back to the big league.
1: It just didn't happen, you know. Yeah, you, you touched on something before that's pretty interesting. Obviously, you know, you, you, you play, you're playing ball. Yeah, you obviously got a family. You're doing everything you can to provide for your family. Obviously, those years in AAA, after you came back from Japan probably weren't the best for you because you know you're you're playing hard. You're trying to do what you can, trying to get back to the major league. Was was there any point where it really got frustrating for you for not getting another crack at it if you had a chance to you play know, for? You know, it, it
2: wasn't to frustrating for me because I know it was. You know, I ended up having some injuries there. Um, there would have been opportunities there with Kansas City when I came back to uh, make that team, and, and um, 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 I ended up going uh, to AAA, and I got hurt in AAA. I tried to follow through that season with the stack going. I played with the stack going um, for a whole two months, basically, and um, ended up. Like, hey, how did you do that? I said, I got family to take care of, you know. <laughs> and uh, I played like this the end of the season. I had the surgery and then I couldn't even get a job the next year. Um, it was tough, so I made calls. Like, right just before spring training, I called and um, ended up starting back with Kansas City again. I was there, gave me an opportunity to come back into the organization. To the major side spring training, so I could see him playing. Uh, the of AAA, and of course, I to Triple A. Then I ended up.
1: Yeah, you end up the next couple of years spending some time with the Brewers organization and the Pirates, and then you transition into coaching. Um, you know, you end up getting a job with the Indians in 2006. What, what did what did, what did you feel was the biggest uh, the biggest thing that you had to do to transition from being a player to a coach? Um,
2: the main thing was that they wanted me to start at a higher level, and I was kind of like, oh, I'm not ready for that yet. Let me go and just let me get my plan again. I, I chose to go to wicket Ball my uh, first year coming in to coach, and I said, let me get my plan together. Let me know if this is exactly what I want to do. And um, I knew at some point I was not a coach, but I wasn't sure if I was ready to just stop playing at that time, you know. And um, my wife went through some, you know, sicknesses and things like that with with cancer and different things, and and, and um, I was fighting with that, and you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and start coaching. so... I started coaching, and, and it worked out great, man. I mean, it's been going good. I enjoy it. Um, I enjoy hitting side. I've done a lot of different things. I mean, I work with a lot of different hitters and different people, different types of, you know, bodies, different minds. Um, and then I get an opportunity also at times to work with outfield and base running. Um, I, you know, I just love the game. So hopefully I can stay in it for for
1: a long time. Hey, once again, this is John very former major league outfielder, John Nunnally. Now, you know, what what do you, what would you think is your biggest attribute that you're able to bring into coaching? You know, is, is it the fielding? Is it hitting? Is there any particular one of your elements that you did, you know, as a player that you feel you're able to help, you know, younger players with? Um, I feel like, you know, when it comes
2: down to my knowledge that I have in the game all the years, and and um, all the, you know, all the games I watch, watch a lot of major league games, and then watched a lot minor league games, and the, the biggest thing is the communicating part, you know, trying to figure out, you know, the player, understanding the kid, talking to Um different things, because you got to know what they want, also, before you can actually go in there and just say, hey, he to.
1: Is there there ever a time that you're talking to, let's say, a younger player and you try to picture yourself at that age when, you know, when you were coming up at that time?
2: play the game the correct way. We start putting out talk and talk about situational hitting, things like that.
1: she had a chance in two thousand ten and two thousand eleven to serve as a hitting coach for the Cleveland Indians. Now did did you did you feel that your your job description changed at the major league level as opposed to what it was when you were coaching in the minors?
2: And become good ball players to help, you know, to help win. I mean, in the big leagues, is about winning. Um, and then, you know, it should be every level should be about winning, preparing to win. But we got to develop also in the minor leagues. So you, you, you know, if you develop them right, they kind of come out to be winners. But you got to have winning players for that. Guys that want to win. Guys that want to do things for your team. And then the developmental part. You know, if they make that really, really easy. And then once you get to the picnic, hopefully the development the developmental stages are over to where you can just go out there and just say, like, make sure that you're watching for more guy.
1: If I'm not mistaken, your your son got drafted this past year by the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So how, 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 how does that make you feel? Number one, as a father, and number two, I guess as a as a coach, right? You kind of mentor him. He's kind of into baseball, you know. You know, just like his father. You know, how how do, how do you how do you separate with your son? You know, the the you know being, you know being the father and then being kind of a mentor as a coach to try to show him the right way. Well, um, well, I'm always trying to help him. I don't have
2: him come to me, you know. I don't try to just go to him all the time. I, I make sure that my son talks to me, and um, of course, I was happy about him, you know, being drafted and everything. But he's what I think. he's balancing, he's working hard every single day. Um, um, he works hard. I can't say that he goes out there and he does. He goes over and beyond a lot, a lot of times, of what he really should be doing, but. He's really, really working hard at it. But I have to step back sometimes. Sometimes we go out there and once we get on the field, I don't talk to him like he's my son. You know, I don't look at him like that because it's about making sure he's, he's developing, he, he's doing things. So I try not to treat him like he's my son with the, when we are going out work. I'm treating him like, hey, he's a player. He needs to get better. He's got to do this, 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 and that. You know, and I'm out there on him just like I would be guys that are my kids you know, um, and sometimes I know they can be tough on them, too, because I'm not very easy on them when it comes down like that, so sometimes some guys are kind of forgiving with their kids, I'm just one that's not, I'm like, no, you, you have to be able to do these things like that, because I've seen good players, and I've seen mediocre players, and I've seen guys that are team players, and my son, you know, he's young, he got drafted at 17 years old, he's just turned 18. So he's just starting college at SCC. That's community college, which is along with that um, conference. And I think it's going to be good for him. And um, he's going to learn a lot there. And hopefully um, they help him further his development there. And and hopefully he can move on into the professional ranks
1: at some point. Yeah, no question about it. Now, listen, best, best of luck to you and everything you're going with the coaching, And, you know, best of luck to your son. And, you know, uh, I appreciate you having some time today, John.
2: All right man,
1: thank you. Sorry it took so long for me getting back to you, but <laughs> nah, it's it. All, right.
0: All right. Welcome back, John Piely Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that spot. Finishing the things up real quick. Rodney McCray celebrated his fiftieth birthday. Of course he's always gonna be remembered for running into that wall in that uh, minor league game and obviously a video that you know, if you, if, you ha- if you can't get it on Google or YouTube or anything, it's up on JohnPLA.com website. I wrote a recent article about it. One thing I just want to touch on real quick in regards to the American League pennant races, I like the fact that there's a race. I hate the fact that it's been uh, bastardized to a point where it, it's going to be a matter of what team backs its way in. I want to see teams playing well going into the playoffs. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this show. Special thanks to Felix Mian, Wes Chamberlain, Dick Drago, And, of course, John Nunnally for all being part of the program. Be back with you next week on a pass ball show right here on EMTR Radio Network, America's radio station.